Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. So um, this morning, uh, I want to tell you a story. There's a guy named Greg Parati, and he, uh, a few years ago, he walked into a Walmart. It's not a famous person, so you don't need to Google him. But he walked into a Walmart around Christmas time, and he overheard some women uh, talking about the Christmas, uh, all the gifts for their kids that they just put on layaway because they didn't quite have enough money to um, buy all of the stuff then. And it got him thinking, and he came back to that same Walmart a few Uh, days later, and he paid for 76 different families layaway for their Christmas gifts. It's $20,000. He just walked in and he said, you know, whatever's on layaway, I want to invest in that. And it was an incredible story. And, uh, And can you, I just want you to imagine for a second, can you imagine if somebody just happened to pay for your whole Christmas for one year? I mean, this is not a trick question. I want you to raise your hand if you'd like to be like a character from the story that I just said. Like, raise your hand. Anybody want that? And we're all, we're all want to be Greg, right? That was my question. <laughs> because oftentimes, oftentimes in moments of crazy provision, there's usually a story of crazy generosity behind it. In most moments of crazy provision, there's usually a story of crazy generosity behind it. Man, it's quiet in here now. Uh, so this morning, we're talking about generosity. We're talking about money. And I've asked the ushers to lock the doors, so you're here now. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I locked the doors. No. <laughs> also, I'm just kidding. That's a fire hazard, and I really don't want a lawsuit. So uh, no doors are locked. You're welcome to stay or go. But what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we've been hearing from all kinds of different people, and we've been talking about this idea of crazy faith. And it's basically this idea of what would the outside world look at us as Christians and say, that's crazy, but when you look at following Jesus, it turns out to be just kind of normal. What in the outside world would they look at and say, man, that is so different from our value system, but if you look at the lifestyle and the teachings of Jesus and you look at the early followers and the practices, what about that lifestyle would the rest of the world just say is crazy. And man, right up there is like, we believe that a dead, gay, a dead guy came back to life. That's like top of the list. But I got to say, the way that Jesus and his followers viewed money is very, very close to one of the most radical, crazy things that's different about everything else and the way that we follow Jesus. Uh, the most famous verse, I would say, definitely in America, probably all over the world, uh, thanks to Jesus and Tim Tebow, is John 3.16. And uh, it says, For God so loved the world that he, that he gave. That he gave. And so I want you to imagine, if you're a Jesus follower, I want you to imagine for a second what would happen, what would your life look like if God decided to be stingy? What would your life look like if Jesus decided to be selfish? What would John 3.16 say if for God so loved the world there was no gave right there? 
And the big idea this morning, and it's always nerve-wracking. This is the first, I know we've talked about like a lifestyle of generosity. This is the first time at our church we're talking about like specifically money and uh, what it looks like to give it. And it's not like what I want to do. But here's why I want to talk about it is because of John 3.16. It's because the gospel starts with generosity and, and selflessness. And here's the big idea this morning. It's because of what he did that this is what we do. Because of what he did, this is what we do. Because of the generosity of God, God's people are called to live radically generous lives. It's because of what he did, this is what we do. And, and one more disclaimer, and then we'll get into the Bible. Uh, we're talking about this. We're talking about money because Jesus talked a lot about money. Jesus talked a lot about money, and he said this thing, and I don't think it was just true in first century Israel. I think it's probably just as true in 21st century America, but he said, man, if I can just get your treasure, I know I have your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And Jesus said this thing, and he knew. It's like he prophetically looked into the future, and he looked at our society, and he said, I know that, I mean, there's lots of things that I need to parse out to get to your heart, but I know as soon as I can get you to do this with your money, I've got access to your heart. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And, um, I don't think anybody thinks this. I just want to say it probably because I'm insecure, so there's my confession this morning. But my pay is not tied to your giving. It's tied to Tesla stock. And (laughs) I'm joking. But I get to come up here this morning because of generous churches from all over and say, at this point, and this will change. This will change very soon. But at this point, I don't need something from you. And I truly just want something for you. And there's coming a day when the support from other churches will run out and we still need internal giving now. And if we didn't have that currently, we would have to pare back and not give kids crayons and probably not have speakers. I mean, all of this stuff is because of generosity from within and from without. But I can honestly say right now, I don't need specifically, I don't need anything from you. I really want this for you. And it's because Jesus talks so much about money that I have to confront insecurity and say we should probably talk about it as well. So let's lay the groundwork for money. A big idea uh, is whose is it? And so Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And so what that means is my money, or Catherine and I's money, isn't actually mine. And that's really tough. Because when I go to Chase.com and I have a password that only the two of us know, probably with some Russian hackers, uh, it seems like that's my money. I look at it and it's like, man, I feel like you guys don't know the password, you can't get in there. It seems like that's my money, but Psalm 24.1 and all throughout scripture, it's, it's actually saying, no, that's not true. I just happen to be the steward of it. And so the more money that we have, the more responsibility we have to steward that for the kingdom of God. And so I want to talk, before we get into some of the specific like application, I want to talk about a couple mindsets that have started to pervade the church in the last couple generations. And they'll sound familiar to you, but I want to go to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9. And he was writing this, and he's writing in reflection of, and, and you know, to a specific church, but he's remembering the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 9, 6-8. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each of you should give what you've decided in your own heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And it's from this passage and some of the other ones throughout scripture that uh, people have handpicked verses and come up with different theologies of how God must interact with money. And, uh, and we don't do that here. We want to read the whole of scripture and we want to look at everything in context. And from this passage, two big competing mindsets have come that just are, they're not evil, but they're very twisted in terms of what is true. The first one is probably more popular. You've heard of that as like a prosperity mindset or a prosperity gospel. And what that says is if you give God this much, he'll give you this much. If you give God this much, he'll give you this much. And that sounds good in theory, and I'm looking at verse six, and it says whoever sows generously reaps generously, but then you keep reading, and in verse seven, it's like, well, you shouldn't give under compulsion, but it should be something that you've decided out of your own heart, and it should be cheerful. And the problem with the prosperity mindset, or uh, what you've probably heard of as the prosperity gospel, is it tells us that we can twist God's arm. It tells us that he, I mean, he's got to bend to, there's an equation that, there is, that, that exists, and if we do that, then he has to give us that much more. It also ties your financial standing with your holiness, because God's blessing comes through the form of money, and if you don't have a lot of that, then God must not be blessing you. It is absolutely, unequivocally not true. Amen. God very clearly shows no favoritism to the rich or to the poor. We see that in James 2. And so it's a twist of something that's true. And the prosperity mindset says, man, you can control God if you would just give him this much. Then I promise you'll get this much in return. Equally untrue, but on the other side of things, and this is probably more prevalent in the church um, recently, is a scarcity mindset. It's a scarcity mindset, and, and this is probably more where we go like this, because we're afraid that we won't have enough. And it's in your notes, I think it's on the slide. It's planning, the, the basic premise of this is planning, making, and having money is less spiritual than lacking. So if you have it, if you make a lot of it, if you even make plans to do it, like, no, 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 you should just, like, it's a hot potato. You got to get rid of it. And the scarcity mindset says that actually it's more spiritual to have nothing. Now, to be clear, Jesus addressed this as well. He says the uh, love of money is the root, or Paul addresses that and says the love of money is the root of all evil. And the theologian, Notorious B.I.G., said it well as also more money, more problems. And what I think he meant to say by that is the more money you have, the more problems you will have to be drawn into sin because of the love of money. He just couldn't make that rhyme. <laughs> but it's true. The more money that you have, the more temptation you have to fall into love of money and not of God. But when I read this, when I read verse 8, it says, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things... At all times, having all that you need, you'll be blessed in every good work. That doesn't sound like a lack to me. And as we pray the prayers of Jesus, as we join in his prayer, and we say we want to see earth look like heaven, we want to bring heaven down to earth, heaven doesn't lack resources. We don't have to be fearful around those kinds of things. We don't have to grip tighter and tighter and tighter, because the culture of heaven is a culture 
of enough. Heaven never has lacked resources. And it's because of these two mindsets we have to talk about. That, you know, there's probably a radical middle somewhere in between. There's probably the Jesus way somewhere in between. And the reason we talk about this is because of what he did. This is what we do. Because of what he did, we live radically generous lives. Now, I have had a, uh, I know I don't look very old, and I'm not. But I've had a pretty long, interesting life or journey with money specifically. One of my earliest memories is uh, when I was like six or seven, I have a little brother who is three years younger than me. I remember um, at that time I was in the used car business and uh, it's Matchbox mostly. But uh, I had a, my brother had a Matchbox car and it was pretty fast and I made an offer to him one morning. We were at my grandparents' house. I said, hey, I'll buy that off of you for a dollar. And he sells me the car for a dollar and we go on racing it and I'm, kind of building it up, and I'm throwing it down the track, and it's like, look, this one's faster. Man, it's faster than we thought it was. It's, it's probably the fastest car that we have. And, uh, and he starts to do exactly what I wanted him to do. He wanted it back. And that was fine. I was going to give it back to him. I said, Johnny, look, this thing has, uh, and I understand money more than you do. This thing has appreciated. I think that's what they call it. <laughs> and I say, he said, well, l- let me have it back. Here's your dollar. And I said, honestly, it's probably $1.99 now. And guys, sin's real, and here's how I know. I'm six or seven years old, and I told my brother, I still remember this. I said, Johnny, I know you don't understand money, but as long as it's in the $1 range, it's basically the same. I said, it it would be unfair if I charged you $2. But I said, I'll sell this back to you for $1.99. And he did it. (laughs) Until the government stepped in, in the form of my grandmother, and she put an end to the whole deal. But when I look back on that story, I start to see something forming in my heart that might not be great. And I remember going all through elementary and middle school and high school. My mom's here today. She can attest to this. I would, like, get mad at my brother. I don't, we grew up, like, solidly middle class. Like, we, I never heard conversations about, like, we need more money. Yet I thought we were poor. And I got mad at my brother for, like, leaving the lights on, for leaving the television on. We'd go to a restaurant, and he would ask for, I don't know if you guys remember this, there used to be like gumball machines in restaurants, and he'd ask for a quarter to go get a gumball after that. And I'd be like, you're just wasting all of mom and dad's money. And I just thought, I mean, it was my job. It's not my parents. It was my job to make sure that we had enough. I get into high school, and I graduate high school, and it's time to go to college, and I can't quite figure out what I want to do. All I know is I want to be a Hoosier. But I'm looking at uh, the school, and I'm looking at the different places. I got a scholarship for the business school, and I was looking at the different majors. But what I was really looking at was the projected salaries of each type, marketing and management and entrepreneurship. And then I saw finance was the one with the highest projected salary. And I thought, I love money. I kind of like to make it. I'm pretty good at it. Love managing it. Don't want anybody else to touch it. And they make the most. So I chose to major in finance mostly because it had the highest projected salary. So I go through college, and I pretty quickly figured out this was not the right choice. (laughs) Here I am. And uh, so I'm like sitting in finance class, and I'm like, I really hate this. And, uh, And I graduate, and I get this first job. It's in corporate finance, and it pays well. And it's time for me to buy my very first car on my own. And I'd had a four-door car until then, and I realized that uh, it was my friends with four-door cars that often were asked to drive other people around. Like, that's how we shared rides. And so I'm not kidding. 
I bought a two-door car as soon as I could because, and I've never even said this to anybody, but I knew one of the reasons was because I noticed my, ki- my friends with two-door cars got asked to drive less places because it just was less practical. I chose that car because I wanted to save on gas money. I got rid of that car like six months ago. Like, I bought that car, and it, it's a decision that plagued me for nine years. I, like, it was so annoying. I don't care about gas money as much anymore. And it was so annoying to, like, shove people, shove adults now, like, into my backseat of my coupe. <laughs> I say all of this, as I've brought you through my life, to make this assertion before I say what's next. Naturally, I am more greedy than anybody in this room. I'm also competitive, and I want to acknowledge that. But I got more stories here, just not enough time. If you think you're as greedy as I was 10 years ago, I would challenge you. Naturally, I am the most greedy person in this room. And I'm 22 years old. I graduated by the, the car, and uh, they're paying me $52,000 a year, which 10 years ago for a 22-year-old, I'm like, I'm loaded. And uh, I chose to live in a slum. Uh, I wasn't married at the time, and I lived in a three-bedroom apartment with four people. And I was like, well, I'll be the guy that shares the room. So... Rob and I shared a room, and, uh, and I shared that room not just because I like Rob, although I do, but because that was the cheaper rent. So I'm making $52,000 a year. I have $175 in rent, and I'm making my first budget with my friend who's becoming a missionary in uh, Australia, and we're sitting there. We're making this budget together, and we do all the same thing. You know, electricity is this much, and gas is this much, and probably restaurants, and we get to the bottom and see what's left over, and his is near zero, and he looks over at mine, and he goes... <laughs> Bro, you got a lot of extra money. I was like, I know, this is amazing. And it's going all into my savings account or into my IRA because I'm retiring when I'm 35. That is my goal. And I'm listening to a Francis Chan sermon around that time. He, was a past, he is a pastor. And, uh, and this is supernatural. I'm listening to this sermon. This is who I am at 22 years old. And I remember he's just, all he's doing is reading scripture and he's talking about where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And I'm listening <clears throat> to this sermon and, uh, and he says, look, a really clear way to see where your heart is, to just look at your budget and see where your treasure is. And I like, it's a snapshot in my mind. I, I looked at my budget and I saw where my heart was. It was not with Jesus. I mean, it was a little bit and uh, like, you know, one, two, three percent, but it was not with Jesus. And, uh, and I wanted it to be. And I don't know how I made this decision. I mean, it, has, it, is, it is right up there with like supernatural healings. But the most greedy person I've ever known, which is myself, decided in that moment, I could have just gone, you know, I'm going to give 3% away because the average Christian gives 2% away, so I want to do better than them. But I went and I said, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm still going to like save a third of my income because I want to do that. But I'm going to live off of a third. And I made this decision. I have no idea how I went from here to there but I said, I'm going to give away a third of my income this year. Absolutely crazy for the person that I was for the last 22 years. And I go through that year, and it's, it's great. I enjoy it, but I don't know if my heart has completely changed. And I get married, and we're going through, or get engaged. We're going through premarital counseling, and it's time to, like, make the budget together. And I thought this was my out because uh, I'm a finance major. She's an accounting major. We're a blast at parties. And uh, <laughs> we're going through the budget. And uh, I'm like, look, this is what I did, but you know, we don't have to do that. And she's like, no, I think that looks good. And I was like, oh man, this was the out. Like I could blame it on marriage and it's my wife and we're gonna, and uh, she says, no, I think, I think that'd be great. You know, we make enough and we should be able to do that. And so the second year of my adult life, 
we live on a third, save a third, and give a third. And I'm now in my ninth year of marriage, and that's been the, the baseline that we've operated from. Every December we make a new budget, but we operate not from like a place of zero. We look at the last year, which was the last year, which was the last year, and there's been a pretty consistent baseline. And I tell you, and it's so hard for me to like say I think I do something well, and I want you to remember who I am. Like at the very core of who I was, I'm more greedy than anybody in here. And God's real. God is real because he can move in my heart. And I think, I don't know, I don't theologically know where I stand here. I don't know if I'm still a greedy person. But if I am, that greed is buried so far beneath systems and rhythms of generosity that I couldn't find it if I wanted to. It's so buried beneath years and years, and I've actually fallen in love with giving. And our story is God continues to give us enough and even more. But the, the, the greed that's inside of me is so now buried beneath layers and layers of giving money away. It's a true heart change. And here are three things that have helped me in that journey. Really practical. This is how I've read through scripture. I've probably read scripture on money more than any other topic in the Bible because it's, it's so, such an interest to me. And here's what I found through scripture and through my life. There's three ways to give, and you're probably feeling a lean towards one or two or maybe all three, but rarely are we operating in all three. And it's, we want to be generous and we want to give money spontaneously, strategically, and sacrificially spontaneously. In Luke 10, 25 to 37, it's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the story where a man is robbed and beat up, and the religious leader walks by, and then another religious leader walks by, and they don't engage in him. And then it's the Good Samaritan. And I want you to imagine that the Good Samaritan was like hyper type A, or just had a real plan. And what we see from the parable is he seems to be moved in compassion. He's already further ahead than the first two. But I want you to imagine if he looked at that man there, he's moved in compassion, but then he says this, gosh, like this wasn't in my generosity plan and walks on by. I want you to imagine if there was no spontaneous generosity about the Good Samaritan. And when we read, and all all we have is, you know, a short parable, but when we read it, it doesn't say he took it out of his temple tithe or he took it away from this or he stopped being generous there. It seems like this was just a spontaneous act of there's a need and I can meet it. Generosity sometimes happens spontaneously, and there's biblical examples of this all throughout Scripture, and it's usually, spontaneous giving usually happens around two big things. One, it's like building projects, so we see that a lot in the temple, and the other is giving to the poor. And I'm guessing, this is just my guess, I'm starting with the easy one. I'm guessing if you're not all three of these things, this is probably the one that you move into. This is the one that it's easiest for me to move into because you feel the best when you give spontaneously. There's a dopamine hit. There's an adrenaline rush when you see somebody on the street and you pull out a five. That's spontaneous giving, but it lacks effectiveness without the other two. The second one is strategically, and this is where it gets hard. You've probably heard somebody say, I wish I could give more, and you usually can give more if you plan to give more. I'm very good at making spending plans. You might be good at making a spending plan, like if I get this much, I'm gonna spend it on that. And I wonder what would happen if we made just the same standard of when I get this much, I wanna give it to that. Isaiah 32, eight 
depending on the translation, says, but generous people plan to do what is generous. Another translation is, but noble people plan to do what is noble. And so there's some aspect of maybe you're just born that way, and there's another aspect, and this is my story, of you become generous just by planning to do what is generous. And over time, you're not sure if it's a plan anymore, if it's just who you are. A video that rocked my world in, early in this journey for Catherine and I was I was watching a guy named Rick Warren, and a pastor of a huge church in California. And he's talking to other pastors, and uh, he's talking about how he had written this book that is like the best-selling book of all time, other than the Bible, The Purpose Driven Life. And he said, do you know why? He said, when I wrote that book, you know, I forget what the number is, but it's tens of millions of dollars that it generated. That's a lot of money to go to one person. He said, do you know why I think God, and he said, I think, so he's not making a statement, but you know why I think God let me write that book? He said, because I was 20 or 25 years into ministry at that point, into being an adult, and he said every year, his wife, they started at 10%, and every year they would choose to give a percent or two or three or five more. He said, by the time I wrote that book, I was giving away 90% of my income. He said, I think God let me write this book <clears throat> that generated tens of millions of dollars <clears throat> sorry, for me because he knew what I would do with it. He said, there is a track record of generosity in my life. And the reason I think God let me write this book and generate all this money is because he knew I wouldn't fall into the temptation. And I'm listening to that video like eight years ago, and I just like out loud, I was like, I want that to be me. I want God to know that he can always give me more and he, de he doesn't have to worry where my heart goes. This, uh, is really, this is really important and we have a lot of missionaries in our midst. We have nonprofit leaders and foundation leaders and we have missionaries going to Spain. I wanna say this on their behalf and, and of course I help lead a nonprofit so this is true here but uh, it's very difficult to um, get just random, spontaneous, only random and spontaneous gifts and plan a budget. If you're thinking about the benefit of a missionary, I want you to think about this idea. And this is my idea from the basis of scripture, but it's my idea of give how you want to be paid. And if you're fine getting paid infrequently and randomly, you have my permission. But if you're one of those people, and I bet you are, that you like when your company gives you the same amount every month or twice a week, I want you to imagine being a missionary or a church planter or a nonprofit that's trying to make a budget not on those kinds of things. Again, it's my wisdom or not wisdom, and it's my encouragement, but it's the struggle I hear all the time, and we experience some, in raising money for a church. And it's often because uh, we wouldn't want to work for a company that said, hey, if I have money left over, I'm going to pay you this month. And in the same way, I know missionaries and church planters and nonprofit leaders also don't love to plan budgets around that. Because of what he did, this is what we do. Because of what Jesus did, we choose to live radically generous lives. Number three is sacrificially. <clears throat> Luke 21, one through four says, while Jesus was in the temple, he watched rich people dropping their gifts into the collection box. And then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has. The final and probably more, most difficult way of giving is giving should be sacrificial. Generosity should cost you something, as ironic as that is. 
there should be a bit of pain and mostly joy. God loves a cheerful giver, but there could be a bit of pain in generosity. And this is bad news if you're rich. This is bad news if you're poor. Um, God's not super interested in zeros. I don't think so. It seems like from this story, he's most interested in your heart. And so the temptation when you're rich is to say, hey, $500 is a lot to a lot of people. It's nothing to me. There we go. That's impressive. Those are zeros. The temptation when you're poor is there's no way I could give any amount of money that would ever shape this organization, so I'm just not going to do it. I'll let the rich people do it. And God from this is saying, man, I'm I'm so not concerned with the zeros. I'm so much more concerned with where your heart is. And City Church, this is the toughest part for me to say, but I want to see people faithfully sowing in to ministries and our church if you call this place home. Again, I don't need it from you, not right now, but I really want it for you. I really want and love to see when people are choosing to invest in every way possible into this place that they call home. And it's our job as a board, and it's my job as the pastor of this church to make sure it's stewarded well. And I'm an open book. If you invested here, if you're like calling this place home, I'm not going to post it online, but I'll share our budget with you. I'm fine with that. I, uh, I think we're stewarding money really, really well. But you need to find a place that you can trust. And don't just, and this is my opinion again, but it's not my encouragement to only give to the local church. I think the local church is very worthy of your investment. But find something else that makes your heart beat as well. At City Church, we're trying to be debt-free. We're trying to have a healthy reserve of money here. I don't think we'll take on debt ever unless we buy a building. That is, the, uh, we want to have a healthy reserve. We want to make a plan. It's like one of the favorite times of my year, I think, will be in like October or November when I get to make a church budget. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's just who I am. And, uh, and it's, it's, I love it because I, I, I love this idea of stewardship. And we're going to make a plan. And because we make a plan, that means the next time a speaker breaks or somebody needs counseling or we have to find something to do over there, I'm not going to come to you and say, hey, we need more money because the speaker broke. We're making plans around that. And we're just asking people to invest faithfully here. And we will lead the way in generosity. This church, although not breaking even, we're taking in money from the outside, this church will be a church that always tithes. A tithe means 10%. So already right now, 10% of what comes in here goes right back out into the form of church planting, to global missions, to local missions. We will always be a church that at least tithes. A lot of our staff, I know, tithe. All of our staff invest in this church. Catherine and I, every year, we pray in December and we ask God what missionaries and things we want to give to. But every year, God says the same thing to us. And this is just for us. But he calls us to give 10% of our pre-tax earnings to the local church, to city church. And so we will lead the way in this. Your church, your pastor, your staff are going to lead the way in generosity. Because of what he did, this is what we do. You can go ahead and get these ready. These are um, the Lord's table, communion cups. It's an ordinance that Jesus gave us one of two ordinances that he gave his church. And, uh, and it's for those of us that follow Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it's no big deal. No one's taking attendance. I would encourage you not to take this. Um, but if you are, uh, this is something we do as a family. And we'll do it together as a family in just a moment. But um, I, want to, I want to tell you, there's a few jobs, <clears throat> just so you know, 
as members of this church. There's only a few jobs that would probably take me away from here. Uh, Elon Musk's assistant, assistant director of Fast and Furious 10. Um, I'll tell you one job that will not take me away. <laughs> At least uh, I don't think it ever would. It's planting another church. This right here, this is amazing. I never want to go through what I went through, what we went through in the moments leading up to this. Uh, summer of 2020 was very difficult. The August 2020 was probably one of the hardest months of my life. And I remember, because we're just doing all the stuff and none of, the, none of this. And, uh, you know, we're choosing logos and color schemes and building a website. And one of the things that uh, Tyler and I, one of the first things we did is we set up a website. He set up a website. <laughs> and then we made a giving platform. And, uh, you know, we made a giving platform and Catherine and I loaded our, you know, 10% in and then he did. And you can see the recurring gifts on there. And then I think next was like my parents uh, and then my grandparents. And it means so much to have people invest from the outside. But let's be honest, I could start a cult and my mom and grandma would give to that. So, <laughs> but right, right up there in those recurring gifts was, uh, we, we logged in a few weeks later. I can do this. We logged in a few weeks later, and uh, man, August was awful. And I logged in, and I saw from a girl that uh, was in college that had started being here, I saw a recurring $5 gift. And uh, man, I needed that. I needed to see that somebody believed in this church other than just the two of us sitting there, or the five of us, or the nine of us that moved here. Somebody that had never heard of this place, and I saw a college student. It was right up there with you know me and Tyler and my mom and my grandma, of giving, and uh, and we we logged in and we just started to cry. We started to cry because it meant so much to our heart that somebody else was investing in the thing that we were starting. But it encouraged me so much because I also knew that Jesus must really have her heart. Because you probably know this, and I know this, and I'm sure she knows this, but that $5 a month, or $5 a week, is not game-changing money at this church. We don't get to go out and buy a building now that she's giving, or hire a staff member, or plant a new church, or dig a new well. We're gonna steward that really well. But currently, $5 a week doesn't allow us on its own to do any of those things. But it's amazing to see somebody so young already saying, that's where my heart is. I want to put my treasure where my heart is, and my heart is with Jesus, and it seems like he's moving in this church. And as followers of Jesus, this is what we do. As followers of Jesus, this is what we do. We demonstrate his lordship through radical generosity. We wage war on greed by giving liberally. We thrive to strive at work so that we can steward more. We don't write checks just to feel better, but we assign our money to kingdom expansion. We don't buy into the myth that we have to spend 110% of what we make. But we believe and we trust God that he can do more with 90 or 80 or maybe even 70. Because of what he did, this is what we do. Because of what he did, this is what we do. 
And what he did is he gave up everything. Jesus was both sacrificial and strategic in giving up his life. And he took the death that we deserve so that we could have the life that, that we don't. It's through the cross and resurrection that we've been made reconciled through a holy God and only through that. And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The band can come up. And he says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus, we we want you. And we want to remember your gift and your sacrifice well. And so we say, come Holy Spirit. God, would you use our meager finances as ways to get greater access to our hearts? Father, because of what you've done and because of your generosity, let us mimic that in the ways that we live, in the ways that we use not only our money, but our time, our talents, our relationships. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And we invite you to come. We invite you to be king over our finances and kings of our heart. In Jesus' name.